0: time for the Vintage Truth podcast with best-selling author and Bible teacher Jeff Kinley. Hey, happy Friday to you. Thanks for joining me on the Vintage Truth podcast today. We're talking about discipleship and what it means. And last time we were talking about some of the things that uh, that Jesus did with his disciples and just what that kind of looked like in his relationship with them, but we're going to kind of take a little bit of a turn and sort of start wading into the deeper end of the discipleship pool and talk about for a couple of sessions what are what are the costs of discipleship what are the demands of discipleship and what does it mean for jesus to call you or to call me one of his disciples and so today we're going to look at john chapter six together and this is a fascinating chapter because it gives us an insight into humanity, into the relationship that Jesus had with the multitudes of his day. And I'm just going to jump right into this thing. It says in, in John chapter 6, after these things, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee or Tiberius, And it says a great multitude was following him. And then John says, because, so why were they following him? So in Jesus' day, he had a great multitude, he had a huge following. Jesus would have had a massive Twitter following, if you will, his Instagram account being blown up. You know why? Because he's popular. This is a popular stage of the ministry of Jesus Christ. So it says a great multitude was following him because they were seeing the signs which he was performing on those who were sick. So, Wow. The healer is coming to town. The miracle worker is in our midst. And so it says, And Jesus went up on the mountain, and he sat with his disciples there. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Jesus, therefore, lifting up his eyes and seeing what a great multitude was coming to him, turned to Philip, one of his disciples. And he says, Philip, where are we going to buy bread that these people may eat? You know, people have to eat, Philip. And he said this, verse six, he was saying this to test him for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered and said, Lord, 200 denarii worth of bread is not enough to to feed these people for everyone to receive uh, a little. And if you'll remember, there were no Sam's wholesale in those days, no Walmart, no place to buy food in bulk like there is today. A denarii was about a day's wage and so 200 denarii would be about 200 days wage. So whatever you make in a day, multiply that well, by two-thirds of a year, right, of a salary. You can't feed that many people. How many people are you talking about? Well, it tells us here in a couple minutes. But it says, one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to Jesus, hey, there's a little kid here with five barley loaves and two fish. But, yeah, we got so many people, there's no way we can feed all these people. Now, the next verse tells us how many people were there. It says, now, there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. So about 5,000 men were following Jesus. That's a decent little following for an afternoon. But men don't travel alone. Men have families. Men have children. So when you add the women and the children that were surely there with them, you've got about fifteen to 20,000. So you know what happened. Jesus took the loaves and the fish and he supernaturally, miraculously multiplied the fish and loaves. And it said those people that were estimating between 15 and 20,000 people, it says they were filled. It also says they ate as much as they wanted. I'll guarantee you that Jesus Christ didn't turn this thing into like Mrs. Paul's fish sticks or something. You know he, he made something really good, something that they would be accustomed to, good food. And so they all ate. They were all filled. Now, it says over in verse 22, we're skipping around just a little bit in this chapter. It says, the next day, the multitude stood on the other side of the sea, saw that there was no other small boat there, boat there except one and that Jesus had not entered with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples had gone away alone. It's basically referring to the fact that Christ walked on the water, walked on the sea uh, as he came to the boat. They don't know how he got there. Then it says, when they found him on the other side, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus didn't say, well, you know, I, I, took, the, um, I took the ferry. No, he goes, he says, I said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs but because you ate the loaves and were filled ah i'm going to get down to the motivation of why you're following me let's just talk about that for a minute some of you guys were coming after me just because i was a miracle worker and now you're coming after me because you want another free meal i've got goodies for you you're a consumer culture here (laughs) he's saying you only come for the free pizza for the for the coffee bar and for the donuts that I give you at church and he's beginning right now to begin to thin out the crowd. I mean, there was this attraction thing, this authentic authentication thing that Christ did of doing these miracles to authenticate the fact that he truly was the son of God. But after that, it's like, okay, you got that. Now follow me because of that. Don't follow me now because I'm giving out free food. And you don't want to go work for your food now. You just want to get from me. No, he's starting to thin out the crowd here. And he says to him, he says, do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you. For on him, even the father, even God has set his seal. He's saying, hey, don't be so shallow. Go deeper. Go deeper than the benefits that christianity can give you go deeper than the peripheral add-ons that you get when you're part of the family of god or when you join that church you know jesus said don't don't be my disciple for that do it for something deeper so now what he's doing is he's starting to filter out the shallowness of some people's reasons as to why they follow him so we're asking the question why do you follow Christ? And so Jesus then says to them, they said, well, what are we supposed to do that we may work the works of God? And Jesus said, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom God has sent. <laughs> it's like he's walking on his way to the synagogue, by the way, when he's saying this, we think. So as he's giving this discourse, he's talking about manna, he gets down to where he says, The bread of God, in verse 33, that has come down out of heaven, gives life to the world. So now he's back on food again. They're like, hey, I guess he's going to give us more food. So they say, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Now what does Jesus say? He responds by once again calling them to a deeper commitment than the commitment they currently have. He says, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger. He who believes in me will never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, yet you do not believe. You know why? Because you're focusing, still focusing on yourself. So many Christians today focus in on themselves. Does it make me happy? Did church make me feel good? You see, it's all about you. It's all about how it makes you feel. You know why you do that? Well, one reason, because you're a depraved sinner. That's one reason. But the second reason is because you don't know anything else. Because all of your life, all you've ever been taught is to please yourself. I'm the same way. We're all just basic, selfish blobs. We're all just Jabba the Hutt that cannot ever be satisfied. Because we're all about ourselves. We all want to know, how does it make me feel? Not what does God say or what do I need to do? That's 98% of the churches in America today. It's just people coming, trying to figure out what's going to please them and make them feel good emotionally or give them a good social network to work through. Jesus said, no, it's not about you. I've already shown you who I am and you didn't even believe all you want is what you can get from me this bread stuff jesus then said in verse 37 all that the father gives me will come to me well what a rebuke there "And, and the one who comes to me i will certainly not cast out we use that verse a lot to say oh that jesus will never he will never refuse you if you come to him he will never cast you out and that's true but we we forget about the first part of the verse in the context of the passage he's saying you know what you guys are not believing in me but you know who is all the people that the Father's given to me, all those that the Father has chosen from before the foundation of the world, they're going to come to me and they're going to believe in me. Might not be you, bub. That's what he's saying. Unless you decide that you want to deepen yourself and go for the real meat and not just this pretend stuff that the world gives you and that your flesh gives you. For I've come down, in verse 37, 38, from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Even I didn't come down to please myself, I came to please the Father. And you're still in the presence of of Almighty God here, still trying to please yourself. How dare we? How dare we think that Christianity is about us? Verse 39, And this is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me, I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him may have eternal life, and I myself will raise him up on the last day day so Jesus is rebuking the crowd here now we got to move fast in this thing verse 41 the Jews therefore were grumbling <laughs> grumbling about him because he said I am the bread that have come down of heaven out of heaven and they're going and this Jesus the son of Joseph whose father and mother we know how does he now say I've come down out of heaven and Jesus answered and said to them do not grumble among yourselves oops No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. In case you guys hadn't been listening, I'm going to repeat this, but more specifically, to your hearts and ears. As it is written, Jesus said, in the prophets, and they shall all be taught of God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. See, Jesus is claiming exclusivity in terms of deity and in terms of salvation here. Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. Then he says again, I am the bread of life. Then he tells the Jews that, it's a really long chapter, by the way, so that's why I'm not reading all these verses. There's 71 verses in this thing. He says, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died, but you know, if you partake of me, guess what? You're not going to die. You're going to live forever with me because I'm going to give my flesh. He says, this bread is my flesh that I give for the life of the world. He's talking about the cross there. Verse 52, the Jews therefore began to argue with one another saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? See, they can't even get the spiritual implications, the metaphors that Jesus is using here because they're so dull of hearing. Why are they dull of hearing? Because they got caught up in making the truths of God into a religious code. And they got caught up into pleasing themselves and creating a business-like structure that they went to every week where people were religious, you know, and acted like everything was okay. And they lorded this authority over other people because they were the influencers in the community and they couldn't even get spiritual truth anymore. And then Jesus just, and he just drops the hammer in verse 53. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life of yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. Now, If you just read those verses without any understanding or any context, you'll think, oh my gosh, Jesus is about to offer himself as a cannibalistic sacrifice for mankind. And you have to literally cannibalize Jesus in order to get to heaven. What in the world is he talking about? Well, this whole conversation he's been having with these people, this ongoing conversation is about bread and consuming and putting something inside your body. And Jesus is saying that I, you have to assimilate me. You have to take me into your life. You have to make me come, uh, be a part of who you are and assimilate me and digest me and cause who I am, my flesh and my blood, this sacrifice on the cross. It has to come into you. It has to mean something to you. And he's telling them that their religion is com- incomplete. You guys have you missed the exit. You totally missed the exit of salvation. So he says, I am the bread of heaven, which bread which came down out of heaven, not like your fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread shall live forever. And it says in verse 59, These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, so we've gone from this massive crowd that followed him because of the miracles, and then they followed him because of the food, and then he rebuked him because of that, and then he's thinning out the crowds, and now he's in the synagogue talking to those who have gathered there, no doubt a pretty huge crowd still there, right? And so it says in verse 60, one of the saddest uh, verses in the Bible, it says, many therefore of his disciples, followers, when they heard this said, this is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? In other words, as Christ starts to turn up the heat on the cost of discipleship, people start looking at their watches and going, you know, I think I've got a chicken in the oven. And they start leaving. They start realizing that, you know, this is going to cost me something. He's not asking me to come and enjoy what he has provided for me. He's asking me to come and make a commitment. Do you get that? Today, Jesus Christ is not asking people to come to church or to come to Christianity so they could enjoy something. There are benefits. We've talked about that. But primarily, he's asking you to commit something. He's asking you to allow him to be himself in you. But Jesus, conscious, verse 61, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? He's reading their minds. What then of you... What then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh, that's you by the way, profits nothing. The words I've spoken to you are spirit and are life. And if you're smart people, you'll listen. But there are some of you who do not believe, For Jesus knew from the beginning who there were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you, no man can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. Because it's certainly not going to happen because you just want to come. You're so depraved, so selfish, so married, so in love, lustfully in love with yourself, you don't even have the ability to come to me. Because you can't see past your own self. Because this monster of self is standing at the front door of your house and won't let you out. And won't let anybody else in. We're going to do a series, by the way on the zombie within that's for the future we're going to do that so jesus is just he's he's done sermon's over and it says in verse 66 as a result of this of him saying all these things many of his disciples withdrew and we're not walking with him anymore they went back home they went back to their previous life and Jesus said therefore to the twelve, he turns to the to his disciples and says what I believe is one of the most tender moments in all of Scripture. And the look if we could oh if we could just see the look in Jesus' eyes when he says this to his twelve. Listen to what he says. He says he turned to the twelve and he said, You do not want to go away also, do you? And right there, it was a moment of crisis. The disciples found themselves in a valley of decision. And they had to decide whether or not they were going to follow Jesus or just go on back to the way life used to be. What would they do? Simon Peter answered. I mean, usually he's putting his foot in his mouth, but here he says this He says, Lord, to whom shall we go? Where, where are we going to go? He says, you have words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now, we don't have this in Scripture. But it's a pretty good guess that the other disciples started chiming in too. Peter's like, Lord, you're the only one with the words of eternal life. Maybe James and John said, yeah, Lord, remember when you found us? We were full of anger. and just couldn't get along with anybody. Maybe Simon the zealot. said, yeah, Lord, look at me. I was an assassin. I was, I wanted to kill people. But look how you've changed my life. Matthew, Lord, I was a cheating tax collector, a money grubbing fool and you've turned me into someone who wants to do what's right who wants to know his god and maybe the other disciples chimed in i don't know but it's not beyond the realm of possibility but here's the point the point is out of 15 to 20,000 there were only a handful that really got it and this is what we learn from this passage number 1 jesus christ would have made a horrible evangelist today he would have made a horrible preacher today you know why? Because he's not trying to just get more people in the building. He's trying to thin out the crowds that are already in the building. I wonder if a pastor preached John chapter 6 as Jesus Christ preached it today, if people would get up and walk out. I wonder if he would. If he would do that. He said, no, we, we, we can't lose that. We've got to have that money. I just wonder. I think sometimes it's important to just thin the herd. You know what I'm saying? I think it's important sometimes to simply say hey we just got too many people here just latching on we never say that why because we're so scared they won't come to jesus if we do that what does god say god says no tell them the truth there's a cost involved in discipleship and jesus says you must be willing to come to me and assimilate who i am over who you are and that my friends is the beginning of the cost of discipleship thanks for listening to the vintage truth podcast please subscribe and share with a friend for more about jeff's ministry go to jeffkinley.com